You're listening to Scarif Bay Community Radio and it's local media this week. The programme where we talk about uh, the local media, the local print media, and we're always anxious to promote the local print media here in County Clare and the good job that they do. Um, this programme is sponsored by Ruth Griffin Photography and we thank Ruth for that. Uh, our usual crew are around the table, so John S. Kelly. John, welcome. Thank you, Jim. Delighted to be here again. And Pat O'Brien. Thanks, s- thanks, Jim. Good to see you, Pat. And David Fleming. Hello, Jim. Welcome again. Uh, also uh, joining us today on the phone uh, from the Clare Champion is the reporter Dan Danaher. Dan, you're very welcome again to local media this week. Th- thank you very much. Very happy to be part of it. Um, I suppose maybe if, if we start um, on page one, maybe of the Clare Champion, and there's a there's a piece there. Uh, Dooley won't stand for Fianna Fáil if schemes are not approved. And of course, the schemes we're talking about are the the uh, sewage schemes for Broadford and for Cora Clare. Is he serious, Dan? Uh, well, he, he he has put this in a letter that he sent to Housing Minister uh, Dara O'Brien. Uh, he's pointed out that over so over three years now have passed since he led a delegation of Iraqis members to meet Dara O'Brien and they, with they expressed concern about the delay in uh, approving sewage schemes for a number of rural towns and villages like Broadford and Cora Clare who have had, unfortunately, a number of false dawns, and there's been a lot of broken promises in the past. And he starts his letter by saying that there has been rumours that, uh, that that the, the schemes are going to be delayed. Now, I have uh, I also interviewed Count, uh, Deputy Cahal Crow, um, who obviously spent a long time in the County Council, and he says that one of his priorities when the, the programme of gov- for government was being drafted, that he uh, sought uh, that there would be a national pilot scheme would be introduced to approve uh, the, the construction of new wastewater facilities in towns and villages. The, the big problem, I suppose, with this is that Irish Water doesn't ha- says it doesn't have the resources to provide new wastewater f- uh, facilities in rural towns and villages. There's roughly about 53 in the county um, a few years ago when there was a report done that were still waiting for proper uh, wastewater facilities. And I suppose that is a key part of infrastructure because if you don't have that, uh, you can't, the, the, the town or village can't grow because you, you won't get any uh, planning approvals. So it is a very difficult scenario because in terms of rural development, if you want a situation where our, our, our rural towns and villages are going to grow and be vibrant, this water and wastewater are key uh, pieces of infrastructure that, that have to be provided if you're going to get planning pr- approvals for either new houses or for any, any kind of a development. Yeah, and I suppose Broadford, which is, I suppose, our main interest, it being in East Clare, um, it's it's an ideal town for development because it's it's close to Ennis, to Limerick, to Shannon. Uh, even cl- people from Broadford, I know one man who works in North Tipperary. So it's it's actually um, quite central. And it if it had the those facilities, um, it it could develop substantially. Well, it would. I I think that like they do have. Um, uh, an active development group there led by community activists there like, like PJ Mason and, and, and others who have, you know, in, in the past outlined, you know, what could be done if they did get the sewage scheme. And I would have no doubt if the sewage scheme is granted that uh, it would facilitate development. One of the, I suppose, really disappointing things that happened recently as well in terms of planning uh, despite the fact that Clare County Council spent hours and hours uh, drafting the new county development plan when it was sent up to the, the national planning regulator uh, he took a look at the plan and he these effectively dezoned uh, residential lands of were zone for residential he, he dezoned those because they didn't have wastewater facilities because this was contrary to national guidelines so you've just kind of catch 22 situation hmm. whereby 
national guidelines have been brought in saying that basically you shouldn't zone uh, any land for development unless you have proper uh, wastewater and water facilities but yes towns that want to develop are caught in in that even if they make applications you know irish water aren't approving them so they're, they're caught really in, the, in this no man land so if as, as it's expected there will be maybe an announcement on friday or monday sanctioning the national pilot program and the two applications from clare that have been put forward by clare county council are both cora clare and broadford so if that happens then councils will be in a position to put forward what's called a material contravention whereby they can put forward the inclusion of the lands that were taken mm. out mm. for residential development in both Broadford and Cora Clare if the sewer schemes are developed. So, Dan, I just want to come in, come in there on you because of following you, what you're saying with great interest, we have been yeah. relentless uh, on radio here in supporting and in pursuit of, in fact, the inclusion of Broadford uh, in the wastewater question. But I'm thinking that there's a little uh, negative, well, it would be negative for some and not for others. With Once planning is one allowed, the value of land in Broadford will rocket upwards because, as Jim was saying at the, at the outset there, um, the reality is that planning is going to shove the value of land in uh, in Broadford. Would you agree with me? Yeah, that, that, that is probably one of the downsides of it. But, but there is no, I don't really see a way around that. I, I mean, like obviously, like any piece of land, if it has a development, uh, if it's service land, it's going to be, you know, it, it's going to be more valuable and the cost is going to rise. I, that's just, I suppose, you call it economics, call it market value, call it what you want. I, I, I like, I don't see a way around that. Yeah. Um, but I think, I think the benefits outweigh any negative, in that at least <coughs> people who are, you know, from Bronford or, or from, you know, Kilban or kind of surrounding in surrounding areas, uh, they will have a, a better opportunity of maybe building, if, if, if you can kind of develop maybe small housing schemes. And also in terms of, if you look at the housing crisis, uh, some people, you know, rightly or wrongly, don't want to live in an urban area. And that's, that's I suppose, that's, that's kind of a lifestyle, lifestyle child. They want to live in a rural area. And I think we have to respect that, but we also have to try to support it. Yes. And the yes. only way you can really support that, uh, like... The governments really don't want one-off houses. So if you're not, if you don't want one-off houses, the only way that you're, you're talking about what's called cluster development, yeah. uh, and I would say, would say, well-built small housing schemes of twenty or thirty houses in the likes of you know Broadford, Kilkishen, Tolla, you know places that that yeah. people want want to live in. But you need you need a sewer scheme for that. And while 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 we, I would agree with what you've said completely, but. Uh, the other side of the coin is we see on this week's champion, we see the demise of another shop. Now, the demise of a shop in a village that may only have one is a very negative situation, isn't it? Uh, absolutely. That, that, that shop in Nakara, I think, was there for up to maybe 150 years. And it's really very sad to see... Uh, a shop going because it, it's it's a focal point for people in any rural village and particularly maybe the elderly who might might you know mightn't have maybe they might be in public transport in the village and that gives them an opportunity to get out meet other people and you know now that that's, that shop is going to close that is a major major blow but again it, it comes back to that that you know age-old problem of, of rural development you, housing is a key part in in any strategy to revitalize uh you know rural areas jobs obviously is a, a key as well but if people can't get housing in an area they're going to move to another area uh and and you know as i said if we want to to tackle the housing crisis we, we need a kind of a multifaceted approach yes we do need a lot of 
new houses in, in, in urban areas. But we also need to provide choice to people and, and, and give them an opportunity to uh, build a life for themselves in, in, in a rural area. Particularly somebody who has grown up um, in a rural area, I, I do feel very kind of strongly about that, um, that people should have that choice. But at the minute, uh, because of the sewer situation, uh, in a lot of cases, mm. um, planning permissions are being torn down and you're, you, you, it, you can't actually have a, a developer isn't going to come in and you know invest and, and, and spend a lot of money on plans if he knows straight away that there isn't proper water or, or sewage. Uh, then, Peter Bryan here, then. Then I was on to uh, Carl Crow there on, on radio and um, also to um, Ellen O'Callaghan and they had this thing that the, the the people up in in, in um, the department that they were bringing in this um, cost analysis benefit cost analysis on it and that they were they were saying that each house was going to cost fifty thousand to to connect it and that's why all this hold up was in the actually in the in the in the we'll say the getting this thing over the line so. I suppose uh, uh, would, would, would all those people up in the department have they have they lost have, have they lot of power? <laughs> uh, well, I suppose that, that's all. That's always a big question. We 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 all you know people laugh at the, at, at the sitcom there. The, the yes minister, but you know some people have claimed in the past that the, the, it's the civil service really run the country. That's that's you know a matter that's a matter for for, for debate. But I suppose what I would say in relation to that is. Any kind of a scheme, yes, I do f- feel that you have to have a cost-benefit analysis. You know, I- is key. But what it doesn't take into account is the environmental benefits. And in a, in a lot of cases, you have, we'll say, towns and villages that don't have proper sewer, sewer systems. They are discharging into water courses, uh, and they, that goes into rivers, and then that, you know, like that creates an awful lot of pollution, and. You know, the, the EU has been uh, basically on Ireland's case uh, for a long number of years. And I, as I understand, I can't give you amounts, but there has been fines, uh, as I understand, for uh, basically non-compliance with, with environmental standards. Yeah. So yeah. the environment is, is, another, is another consideration. That, yeah, that, uh, yeah, I would agree with that. I, I, I think the, the the environment and the and the relevant for small villages as well, yeah. as you said yourself. You know, yeah. Dan, um, you have another story on page four, um, and this is, I think, this is one uh, area that we regularly see you contributing towards or on, which is the state of the hospitals, and particularly University Hospital Limerick, but also the closure of Ennis and, and other regional hospitals. And the headline is Hospital Group to Speak in Dahl. Um, and this is in relation, surprisingly, it's not the Health Committee. It is the Petitions Committee, the Dahl Petitions Committee. What's going on there, Dan? Yeah, yeah, I suppose it, it, it's probably the, the, I suppose the, the Midwest Hospital campaign, as part of their... I suppose long, I call it struggle or fight or campaign to to to, to get the reopening of a twenty-four hour accident emergency in Ennis, Nina, and St John's. They had put forward a proposal and they did try to access. Uh, I understand the health committee, but in this case, they, they put forward a petition to the what's called the the Dahl Petitions Committee. Fifteen thousand got they got fifteen thousand signatures, and. They basically put forward uh, this motion to outlining uh, the case for the upgrading of these facilities. And after a very long time, uh, they are finally going to get there an opportunity uh, there on Thursday week to present the case for that. And I suppose it is very timely, given that... Uh, uh, recently, we had a situation where we uh, yet another record was unfortunately broken in UHL, where we had uh, uh, it was in October 23rd, 130 patients were left languishing in corridors uh, on trolleys yeah. or, or on chairs waiting for a bed, and there is international evidence that shows that when you go over a certain number, I think it's over over 80, and if you have 
a lengthy wait on, on a trolley that goes into maybe a number of days. Unfortunately, uh, particularly if you're very early and you have your underlying conditions, mm. more, more, you're at a greater risk of mortality or that your recovery will be very much delayed. Yeah. The minister, uh, yeah, the minister Dan today or, or this week um, announced that those people who are in hospital beds but, uh, but are waiting to go to another facility of their choice will no longer be allowed to wait and that if a facility in another place that they might necessarily want to go to but once it's available, they will be asked to vacate that hospital bed, which will f supposedly free up um, those people on trolleys. Do you think that will help the situation in Limerick? Well, I think they have to try a number of different. They have to try a number of different things. In my own view, is that one of the biggest problems is that the, the, the UL hospital group themselves have admitted that the the average, the daily number of people who are coming in is has increased dramatically compared to even pre-COVID times. So the, the problem is there's a greater number of people coming into the hospital and the, the level of beds has stayed, has stayed the same. So there's only one outcome in that, and that's chronic, chronic and dangerous yeah. overcrowding. Yeah. And Dan, if, if you were in charge of the health service, what, and because you've been covering this for so long, and we, we often hear armchair generals that we are often <laughs> think we have <laughs> solutions. What, what would, if you were in charge, what would you do to solve the crisis? Well, the first thing I would do, um, like the, the whole, the whole debate about you know twenty-four A and E, that, that is a that is a complex thing because if you're going to provide twenty-four A and E in in the Sornina, you have to put in, uh, you have to have consultants, you have to have proper equipment and services. That that would take. A number of years before you would even, if, even if there was a particular will to do it, that would take a certain amount of time. At, at the minute, we need short, we need short term, what I call solutions. I think that every available bed in the Midwest should be be opened. Um, that uh, there should be no closed bed in, in, in regardless of resort should, should be opened in the Midwest. As part of the solution, they need to increase the number of beds in Ennis as well because we have i would call it a very farcical situation of low acute patients being taken all the way from west clare north clare east clare into limerick spending three or four days in a trolley that they, they don't have life-threatening injuries and then they're maybe brought out to, to ennis or nina for to kind of more or less recuperate but what i would do i suppose is i would increase the capacity of the medical assessment unit mm. and the local injuries unit to treat more uh, non-acute as you say non-acute uh, non-acute conditions yeah. because unless you reduce the number of patients going into uhl this is going to be a continuous problem it's not an easy one to solve but as i said you need yeah. to get a, a greater utilization of what I was called the Model 2 hospitals. They are not being utilized to their potential, in my view, at this point in time. Uh, and, and as well, you mentioned there about moving patients to nursing homes. They need to invest in primary care and community facilities whereby, yes, there there is a need. I already argue there is a need for more public nursing homes. Like there is a plan, for example, to provide a new facility uh, to replace St Joseph's in Ennis, but they're only providing hundred. This only provides a hundred beds, and at one back, if you go back, fifteen twenty years ago, uh, St Joseph's had multiples of that, and I think that the state, in a way when it comes to elderly care, has, has effectively privatised it by, by, by moving away from providing um, say elderly care. Like, you only have the likes of Raheen, Ennis Diamond, um, St. Joseph's. You know, th there should be a lot more, in my view, public facilities. And they should be... I also would talk about home care. There isn't enough um, home care hours. And there's people going into hospital 
because it can't be looked after at home. Yeah. So every effort has to be made to reduce the number of people going yeah. I, I know i'm at, at risk of repeating myself reduce the number of people going into uhl and once you have your treatment completed straight away there should be what we call more step down facilities yeah. there should be something between the hospital and the nursing home hmm. that that you can yeah. go Dan, to and if that means I, Dan, building maybe modular a kind of a modular health facility that should be looked at i'm thinking dan that all of what you've said requires personnel at this present point in time we have a shortage of personnel and there is no uh, indicate small little indications that it's been taken uh, as a serious problem we had even today uh, where there's a, a note from government to say that they would be um, uh, how many 300 uh, medical places extra next GPs. year. GPs. GPs. Yeah. Uh, well, even have to train them first of all. Yeah. So yeah. all the time when we've been on to this for, a, you know, for a considerable period of time. So, uh, what do we do for personnel? We we did have a suggestion here. I don't know what you think of it. That um, uh, what was the one that that that, that kept coming up? Jim? About training. About training and one year commitment. Uh, you know, how many? Have be interesting piece of uh, information to know. How many people? How many doctors and nurses have gone to Australia uh, as an inter either as an interim for an interim experience or for a, a permanency? Because the money is very good in Aussie land. How do you think about obliging? As they do in yeah, it is, it is. It is. It is an interesting uh, suggestion. It, it deserves a lot of consideration. I am. Um, I know some people have called, have have kind of made the point that given the amount of resources that are put into to training doctors and nurses, that there should be a public commitment the, the to stay back. within yeah. HC yeah. for maybe two or three years. Um, yeah, it's it it. It is a kind of a controversial one because you're you're, you're denying a kind of a person the choice in terms of travelling, but certainly. Something needs to be done. There, there is an issue. I do agree with, with what I would call recruitment and retention of healthcare staff. Yeah, and that certainly that certainly needs to be looked at because regardless what facilities you have, if you don't have the personnel, it's it's going to it's it's not going to work. So they are the key that are going to you know drive any sort of improvements or reform. They're certainly are a cornerstone of that. I would agree that certainly there is radical solutions you know need to be looked at in terms of improving the retention and recruitment. Dan Petterbrain here again. You've a story there on page three. Situation at Shannon Gelder Station. Shocking. You're quoting Carl Crow, the officer of public works, and I suppose it's another pyrite story. Yeah, yeah, I mean, the whole pyrite situation is, is very difficult, but particularly for homeowners. Um, now, in, in, in this case, uh, Deputy Crow, um, uh, basically, he, he put down a question uh, asking the, the Minister for Public Expenditure, and it was actually Pat O'Donovan, who was responsible for the OVW, answered him in terms of uh, following the discovery of pyrite uh, in the outer leaf of Shannon Garda Station. Who was the building contractor and where did the, where did the blocks came, come from? Uh, now, Pat O'Donovan, Minister O'Donovan, uh, confirmed that the main building contractor was McHugh Brothers uh, of Ballina, County Bereri, but he admitted that at this stage he didn't know who the manufacturer or the provider of the bricks were. Um, and there has been regular inspections carried out by the OPW on China and Garda Station, which has confirmed that it is safe to operate as a Garda Station. I suppose there is, I suppose one of the crux of this whole uh, pyrite debacle, I suppose, if I, if I could use the word, uh, is uh, a lot of people feel very aggrieved that they got their house built uh, and they you know, paid a builder and the builder got materials uh, in good faith and at no, you know, they didn't in their wildest dreams or in, in their wildest night they had they, they had no idea that 30 years 40 years down the road cracks would start to appear uh, things start to the house would basically start to crumble uh and it's it's a really frightening scenario to be presented with and they a lot of homeowners feel that the suppliers of the blocks that the state should be getting some compensation or some recompense for them 
Uh, now, that is easier said than done. And to the best of my knowledge, as part of the current um, redress scheme, there is no, um, no illegal a redress yeah. or there's no it, by the state to, to chase. Is this chase to do, Dan, the with the, the statute of limitations, which is mentioned in your article there, that, uh, you know, the, the, the station was built in 1990. Lots of these public buildings are quite old. And that the statute of limitations, 12 years, you can't really prosecute anybody. Is, is that part of the problem? That, that, that I'd say, is, is part of the problem. But I suppose while I'm raising it, it, it is very frustrating for any homeowner who, you know, took out, some, in some cases, very large mortgages and paid, you know, large sum for their homes. Yeah. And they paid a builder and the builder, you know, you you you. You'd expect that the builder was reputable, and, and they, they they got, uh, you know, pro- proper materials. Uh, and I suppose they, they would feel if they went out and did something that had a bad outcome for something, that they, they, they could be subject to legal regress, redress. But I, I think certainly the statute of limitations is probably an issue. But I certainly can understand it is a source of frustration uh, to homeowners. And what's also a source, source of frustration is. The new scheme, while Clare has been included in it, it is quite, uh, and there's a lot of bureaucracy involved in it. Like, for example, there's 35 different um, criteria that a homeowner who's making an application for this, to, to, to be part of the scheme has to, has to adhere to. And up to recently, uh, the only applications could only be made online, and which I thought was very unfair because in a lot of cases... Uh, this involves elderly people, and I'm in no way being ages when I'm saying that a lot, a lot of these people wouldn't be, to no fault of their own, wouldn't be commu- computer literate. Dan. Uh, they wouldn't have worked on a computer. Uh, so, Dan, you know, this is... You, you, totally mentioned, you, you mentioned age-related, and just in passing, uh, there's a view... They're all old fellas here, <laughs> apart from myself. <laughs> you know, uh, we have... We have we have a ninety year old who got a level five in the art college uh, uh, recently right. and was uh, um, and graduated with that. How about that, Jim? Yeah. I mean, I mean, but anyway, there, there's, there's hope that. for you all. Fair juice to that person, but, but what I'm saying is, in, in a lot of cases, in, in a lot of cases, people who are in this terrible situation. Um, you yeah. know, the, it, like it, 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 yeah. it's kind of tucked your 40 years down the line since they moved into their homes. Anyway, and the lads are di- dying, to get, uh, to, to, dying to get in uh, on what you were saying earlier. Um, there are some interesting headlines, and we're always, we're always very interested here in the radio on the headlines. Who writes the, the caption? Okay? Because sometimes the caption is not reflected in the material that's presented. Would that be an unfair yeah, comment? Well, that normally, um, well, what people don't realize is that jur- journalists really, do, uh, as a matter of course, it's not really our responsibility to, to, to write the headlines. We can put a suggested one, but in nine times out of ten, that can be changed because of space. So normally, the headlines are are written uh, by what's called a sub-editor who's, yeah. who's laying yeah. out the page, yeah. um, and then the, final, the editor would have the final say. So... Yeah. Anyway, there's 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 a, a cultural change obvious in the more recent um, uh, uh, material coming out in the social media. The, on the front page of one of our uh, local papers, we have Claire Garda under siege, four assaulted in one month. Now this is that's a serious uh, question, and we have it later on in the paper: violence towards Garda rising. Massive increase in NS thefts. My God, like uh, it's reading like a. Are you saying it's alarmist, John? Or no, I'm not by any means. But but it's a sh- it's indicating. You're worried. I'm yeah. worried. It's yeah. Shocking! It's yeah. shocking! Yeah. A disregard for the role of the Gadi. Uh, but is this not like? Haven't I? I heard. I was listening to the radio uh, a few days ago, and a, gar- a retired guard phoned in, and he said. This is what I faced uh, about 50 years, 60, 50 years ago, he said. Uh, you know, it's no different what it was. Um, now, the suggestion in the newspapers, and Dan, we get your view on it. Um, this is Superintendent Ryan, who highlighted that Gardaí across the county are struggling to do their job 
with no sign of increasing resources and uh, that he also claims that social media is fueling hostile attitudes um, and I suppose by default then one step further these assaults on, on, on increased assaults on Gardaí he, he's recommending the use of body cams um, and of course we know that the Garda representative organisation uh, are also big advocates of that do you think that would help the situation or solve the problem but I personally do anyway yeah. I suppose if you, if you want to talk first about, about the social media it, if you would say I suppose before the introduction of let's say iPhones um, let's say 20 years ago a guard could arrest somebody and they could take you would say they could you know handcuff him or if, if it was a serious incident take him away now you have cer certain people who even when they are you know, involved in, in say, wrongdoing, or it might be a public order offence, they can pull out a phone and they can try and misconstrue what's happening mm. uh, by using their phone and kind of, you know, start talking to it and say, oh, Garda, are you, you know, are you trying to assault me? Are you trying to be, you know, and so th that, yeah. that, 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 is, that is an issue. Um, in terms of body cams, I, I, I think it would be, I think it would be a good idea because I think, you know, People then, but I think people should be should be made aware that you know if if I am engaged in in illegal activity and a guy comes up to arrest me, you know, I, I think it should be known that 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 you know you, you press that the person is known that you, you I'm now effectively recording yeah, you filming yeah. you uh, while while I'm arresting you and that thing yeah. can be used in in in, in, in court in evidence. It, 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 it is worrying. It is worrying to see any any guard being mm, assaulted. In mm, fairness, mm, mm. you know we might not always agree with what they do, but the bottom well, line is that yeah. they are they're doing they a are, job on behalf of the uh, public. Hold the law. Yeah. And in a lot of cases, Let, they are putting you know in, in some putting themselves in risk. Exactly. Well, I'll I'll, I'll 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 take I'll take that proposal and I'll raise it. If we were playing a game of poker. Mm. Uh, what would you think of actually arming our police force? We are one of the f only police forces in Europe without arms, without guns. Um, wouldn't that be? A, wouldn't that put the frighteners on anybody who might come <laughs> up to you? And uh, sure, a camera, they they might only be smiling at you. Yeah. No, I I think. <laughs> I, 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 I would be in favour in. in of having a certain sections of the Gardaí be armed, dealing with violent criminals. I think certainly there is, there is a case to be made for specialised units being armed. The general, the general Gardaí that's on, that's there in Scarif, that's there in Killaloo, I think part of you know, the, 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 the whole ethos behind commuting policing and having having the public feeling that the Gardaí are on their side, I think that could be eroded if you had a situation where, where they uh, were, all of them were, were, were carrying guns. I, I think that that raises things to sort of a sinister... I, I, I think at this point in time, I wouldn't be in favour of it. Yeah, yeah. Dan, I, I know you're under a bit of time pressure uh, as well, but... Um, First of all, I suppose I'm, I'm just looking at the, the East Clare page here and um, uh, modesty uh, causes everybody around here not to be talking too much about the page because uh, several of the characters around this table are looking out at me from page 13 from your report on the matchmaking festival. But uh, I just would like to say to you, um, well done on particularly on page 13, as you do cover East Clare and let us know what's happening all over the place. And, and there are a number of those pieces there today. There's a book launch. Uh, there's a, a community down in uh, Kittadu, uh, we'll say helping out people. Uh, you talk about the wind farm. And of course, there's the, the Scarif Bay Gold Awards. But uh, well done on that. And, you know, keep the flag flying here in East Clare um, and I, I said I know you're under time pressure so maybe I uh, would let you go at this stage many thanks Dan for coming on and you know giving us uh, your thoughts on various things be it the health service or the Gardaí or 
Timmy Dooley or the, the various um, things that are happening and keep up the good work and uh, keep the the Clare champion uh, churning out news stories week after week. Are you taking give, Are you taking a gamble uh, on the Timmy Dooley situation? <laughs> well, just Timmy took the gamble. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they uh, might have some inside knowledge. <laughs> I don't know what Dan might think of that, but yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, I suppose in terms of that, I suppose like if if the latest indications are 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 correct, it, it looks as if there will be. Uh, an announcement in in the coming days in relation to so, so he mightn't have to kind of follow through with what he. With, 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 with I think Dan. I think he knew all along. <laughs> I think he knew about two weeks ago when he before he sent that letter. But sure, we'll we'll question him again when he comes, and you can question him again when you when you next see, talk to him. <laughs> okay, again, Dan. Many thanks for joining us. We can bring him in for Saturday. Thank you. Thank you, Dan. Thanks a lot. Thanks. God bless. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye now it's time for uh, Pat O'Brien to uh, strike forth because Pat provides, provides us with the music here uh, at halftime every day. So I uh, wonder will it be the Beatles because um, the Beatles are, are in the papers today. And, but I'd say Pat is usually a curveball so it probably won't be the Beatles. We had him last week. So All right. Yes. We had him last week so we'll, we'll, go, with, we'll go with Joni Mitchell. She was 80 on Monday less so we'll have both sides now. Okay, Joni Mitchell, both sides now, and uh, thanks again to Dan, and we'll see you in part two. Rose and flows of angel hair And ice cream castles in the air And feather canyons everywhere Looked at clouds that way But now they only block the sun They rain and they snow on everyone So many things I would have done But clouds got in my way I've looked at clouds from both sides now From up and down and still somehow It's cloud illusions I recall I really don't know clouds Moons and dunes and Ferris wheels The dizzy dancing way that you feel As every fairy tale comes through I've looked at love that way But now it's just another show and you leave them laughing when you go And if you can, don't let them know Don't give yourself away I've looked at love from both sides now From give and take still Somehow it's love's illusions that I recall I really don't know love I really don't know love at all I love you right out loud Dreams and schemes and circus crowds I've looked 
Welcome back. You're listening to Scarif Bay Community Radio and local media this week. And that was the great Joni Mitchell there with her song from, I'd say, the late 60s or early 70s, Both Sides Now. Pat's choice for our halftime break. Well, it's a bit further on than halftime now because uh, we did spend uh, the greater part of uh, the first more than half an hour chatting there with uh, Dan Danaher of the Clare Champion and again our thanks to Dan for joining us for part of this week's show. Uh, John S. looks a bit nostalgic over there on the other side of the table. Well, um, he's looking at a, a photograph and he's, I'd say he's reminded of his youth. Indeed. When I think about it, Powers Shop in Nakara. Jim, I'd say you know Nakara. Um, and uh, reading the article by Sharon Dolan Darcy, I'd recommend it for young and old to go to it. And re- it is a beautiful piece of writing okay, that evokes an, an age gone by, long time gone by. And I was saying to myself, now I must ask Jim, because he'd be kind of the right age for this. Uh, let's ask Jim, um, what uh, would he recall the sweets, for example, that are no longer available, uh, that be in jars. Uh, d- d- David wouldn't have a clue what, what we're talking about. <laughs> Not a clue. <laughs> Not a clue. Uh, so you had lovely sweets. Can you remember any of them, the types? Well, you reminded me of one during the break there while yeah. uh, we were listening to Pat's tune. Yeah. Peggy's Leg. Oh, Peggy's Leg. Now, again, David Fleming, of course, took a different meaning. Uh, out of that, didn't she? He did. He was looking at the sort of cannibalistic element. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So uh, what else? Do you remember the, the, the bowls or tea jars? Do you know, okay? About that height. Yeah, I'd say some of them are still available because you do see shops with a, a sort of a, a nostalgic twist to them mm. with yeah. sweets and mm. jars. Yeah. I know bullseyes. Um, oh, they were, st- they were. They're dinners. still there, aren't yeah, they? Yeah. yeah. We now you you cast an aspersion that I was so young that I can't remember. My grand aunt in Mitchellstown had a shop, and she sold what we called penny sweets, penny which sweets. are all oh, those yes. sweets, yes. all those sweets that you were talking about there. Yeah. Uh, I couldn't remember their name. All I can remember is they tasted damn good. Tell me, was there a ballroom near it? Like a, an old national school that was... No, it was in the middle of the street. Well, in this case here in Powers uh, for the Sweets, uh, she, the daughter who is now closing the shop, just another week, another thing gone by. Great sadness, I think, in that. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, um, they're in the middle. They crossed the road from Powers' shop was a ballroom. I uh, know, small, you know, uh, old national school yeah. type uh, of Nakia Hall, yeah. Yeah. And the 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 guys would go to the dance, but then in the middle of the of they'd, the, the they'd the go for a, a peg's leg, would a they? Peggy's leg. Peggy's leg. <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> but but yeah. but but they they only had to cross the road. And a bottle of lemonade. And a bottle of, so you can imagine the conversation <laughs> in the hall before they came out. Maggie uh, would you like? Would you like some of Peg? Peg's leg. Peg's leg. We're going to get into trouble now. We'll be cancelled. <laughs> we I remember <laughs> in Lily Mac's shop in, yeah. in the square. Scarf. Scarf, yeah. And uh, I mean, there were shops like Lily's now in every uh, village in East Clare. Yes. But uh, Lily used to have Peggy's legs. And, Did she? And lots of different. Uh, it was the kind of thing where, where you had the uh, the ice cream. Yeah. Uh, the ice cream where, where she took out a block and you asked for a two penny or a three penny or a four penny oh, or yeah. if you were rich enough a six yeah. penny ice cream lovely and she had a kind of a little roller with uh, edges oh, on it uh, which marked out the size of the ice cream Jim, I, was, I, I was in charge of the ice cream in boarding school okay I, because I was in charge of the tuck shop <laughs> 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 and I, uh, I persuaded the dean that uh, it would be worth having um, uh, uh, ice cream blocks and fridge. And he went for it. He, was, he, he wasn't wise to it at all. But I used to make an extra 
uh, slice on the block, okay, which meant you got a slightly reduced uh, shaving, okay, uh, and and David, uh, because he was from Cork, he got he got <laughs> he didn't uh, get as much. He didn't get as much. <laughs> so I had uh, I had one twopenny ice cream out of every block. Block free of free gratis. There's capitalism for you at the very early stage. That's enterprise. Yeah. And did you eat that yourself? Or I did. Did you sell it on? I in some cases I sold it on. <laughs> yeah. And generally, there you are now. Okay. Very good. Yeah. Listen, we'd move on from there. Uh, a rather sad event, uh, David, yeah. on uh, Mark Indicare Champion yeah. this week with the, the passing and the, the sudden passing of, of a man who was well known in these parts, Andrew St. Legend. Yeah, well known, uh, well recognisable. Page eight of the champion there. Dan has, th- has this story as well. Yeah, the unexpected passing of Andrew St. Ledger, and of course he was known far and wide across the country, really, for his work on native woodlands as a real champion for the native woodlands, and particularly, of course, for the Shlivokti, for the East Clare Mountains here, um, where he would have uh, researched and he would have articulated and and promoted the idea of planting, replanting the great native woodland that was Shlivokti, and I think, um, uh, Jim, he was only, I think, 41, so it was very sudden. Uh, A spokesperson for the Woodland League said that they're heartbroken at the passing of their great and mighty friend, founder, director, PRO champion, warrior, guide, leader, soulful Cora, and they said, our mighty oak has fallen, and um, for anybody... In, the, in that organisation that he founded, uh, he will be an enormous loss. Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. Indeed. I know during the festival, in the, the Harbour Festival, on the August Bank Holiday weekend, he was always to the fore, taking people on trips through Raheem, Raheem Woods. Yeah, and, and yeah, yeah. So, uh, and there's a picture of him there for yeah. people. Uh, and he was, he was a, a brilliant have to see us, but he, he, he was... Um, <coughs> he was... I think he, uh, he was... Um, he was and remains a true gentleman, said Jennifer McConnell, former IOC chairman, Scarif. His friend in the Keen described Andrew as a brilliant artist, furniture maker and native woodland manager. Mm. So he, he used to make furniture as well and, and art, do art. Yeah, well, and I think there's a lot of there's a lot of creators paid him there with Pat Hayes and various different groups of, of people from around the around the area. Okay, so he, he was, when I was in, 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 in the pub, he was called to the, the Black Sticks. Uh, and actually, you know, there recently I was thinking about him for the beginning of Sarah the Chronicle. He was hiding written down for to, to maybe bring him into Sarah the Chronicle from Sarah. Yes. Pity, pity. Yeah, yeah. We, we didn't get the chance. No. Anyway, we, we send our condolences to his family and uh, may he rest in peace. Mm. The uh, There's a story there. Uh, Pat, you were actually pointing it out to me there a while ago, of uh, a superhero, a five-year-old boy, and I know we we talked about him over the last couple of weeks where uh, he raised the alarm when his mother collapsed. Oh yeah, from Killaloo, yeah. And uh, he's, um, I gather he's been rewarded. Yeah, we, we, we covered this, I think, as well uh, last week. And it well, it's really an amazing story of how a very young person page just had the cup on. Yeah, page 12 of the Clare Echo. Yeah. Yeah, to, to do the right thing at the right time. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No. Yeah, bravely worked for Killaloo has been... Um, uh, Adam Maloney, he must be a new uh, fellow in the, in the um, clerical. Uh, five-year-old Killaloo boy has been awarded for quick thinking as he helped his mother by, by promptly contacting emergency services when she lost consciousness. Ben Holland has been awarded a bravery medal for the National Ambulance Service for his actions by saving his mother, Jenny Kylie, last month. Last October, Jenny was diagnosed with po- postural art... Uh, Static, yeah. I don't know, syndrome, but P-O-T-S is the, is the shortness for it anyway. It's a, it's a very kind of a long, uh, wintered uh, medical Not uh, unusual. Di- diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think she, she I heard it on the radio, she was on George Duffy yesterday, and she, 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 her blood pressure goes down and she collapses. And uh, it's happened a few times, so she has, uh, she has, 
Tart har vi jo fødder til ben til hav til til lessen der Pat for for every one of us. Lessen for every one, ja ja. And actually, the good story about it is that it's a school in Kildare now where Ben goes to school. Uh, they are learning the children how to contact um, emergency services oh, and to do, that's very do very good. things. Yeah, that's, that's very good. good. But um, I think it's very funny. The girls arrived first anyway to the house, and when they came into the house, uh, the, the, he asked them, he asked them, did they want tea or coffee? <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he was on George Duffy yesterday on, 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 um, on the radio, and... Um, Joe asked him who was his superhero. Yeah. He said, uh, oh, he said Joe Duffy. On <laughs> <laughs> cue. He, he has learned a lot. He yeah. has, for sure. Yeah. Okay, uh, page 13 is uh, of the Clare Champion is the East Clare page. And there's a piece there on the wind farms, David. There is, yeah. This is the wind farm, uh, the proposed wind farm being built at Lacaray, I think is how you pronounce it, Lacaray, uh, which is near Kilban. And uh, details have been unveiled about this proposed new wind farm. There's going to be an exhibition in Killaloo in the Lakeside Hotel on November 21st. The project uh, proposes uh, up to seven turbines with tip heights of up to 180 metres. Collectively, the turbines will have a generating capacity of about 50 megawatts, enough to power the equivalent of 35,000 homes. You know, just seven of these uh, have the power to, to generate that much electricity for they're, 35 They're getting tons. more, what's the word, stronger, uh, more More efficient, e- efficient exactly. Yeah. Um, and that's why you see, w- when you see that li- wind farms have a lifespan, the technology, yeah. of course, has a lifespan, and presumably they will be replaced. So uh, if the project receives planning permission and is constructed, it says here, uh, a community benefit fund will be established to support... Um, to support uh, the, the local initiatives and activities. Um, but of course, people have have different views on both on, on the negatives and positives of these things. So I think we, w- we would be encouraging people in that area and, and elsewhere to go down and have a look at what's being proposed. Um, it's on in the 21st of November from, the, from 3 p.m. to 8 p.m. It will feature information about the project and the environmental surveys completed to date, photo montages illustrating the visual impact of the turbines from local viewpoints, uh, details of the project timeline, and information on other aspects of in- energy. There's no need to register. All are welcome. And there's more, more information on edf-re.ie. Okay, and Pat, you have something, I suppose, related, related yeah, on the Clare Echo. Another one here on the Clare Echo, and I think it's on the Clare Champion as well. Nakshenvo Windfarm Community Clinic. Nakshenvo Windfarm is a proposed renewable energy development in East Clare. You are invited to a community clinic to meet the team and learn more about the project and ask your questions. Wednesday, November the 22nd from 12 to 8, and Thursday, November 23rd from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. It's on in the Castle Hawks, the Castle Oaks Hotel in Castle Connell in County Limerick. Now, um, that's a good ways away from uh, from the Twelve Clark Hills. Uh, how come they couldn't have it in a local press? Maybe like Six Mile Bridge or Bradford or something like that. Yes, and facilities do exist. It's, it's, yeah, it's facilities. The, the people that are on the area that's, that, that would want to attend it. Okay. It's on anywhere in the Castle Oaks, and um, Wednesday twenty second and Thursday twenty third. So. If anyone wants to go along, it was on our contact numbers there as well. And uh, so, okay. Kevin Donlan and uh, Christy or D of the contact people. And there's a, there's a, um, uh, you can contact them at www.nakshenvo.winfair.ie as well. Okay, excellent. John, you're looking at a place there. A, a photograph of Kilrush. Yes. And the caption, interesting caption. Clare less deprived than other counties. But several areas struggle. This is a measure that was done in the research and published last week. Okay, so I was, I was interested to know where is East Clare in it, and it transpired that East Clare would be above average, and what John is below average, and the answer to that one in the in the returns would be Kilrush. Kilkee. Interesting, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. And. Um, uh, I wonder why, why would places in East Clare be 
above average. Well, Somebody would mean economically. Yes, and socially, yeah. hand in hand with it. I think, I think, uh, I think just it under ten percent of Clare people uh, only have primary education, while almost forty percent have gone to third level. The lone parent ratio is sixteen point six. An area of Kilrush is the only part of the county that was found to be extremely disadvantaged. Mm. Now, that would be uh, material for a serious bit of community work uh, in uh, West Clare, mm. because Kilrush potentially has, has stuff, circumstances, which should be able to help uh, economic revival. I know, I've said it to you before, John, in, in our private conversations, yeah that um, places which appear to be doing well have a huge amount of community activity yeah. going on. Now, is the community activity because it's doing well or is it doing well because the locals are... Yeah. are do you know, and well, that's an interesting... That's an interesting... And lots of places yeah. in, all over East Clare yeah. have very strong um, yeah. and sometimes long-standing... Uh, community groups to promote their, their and Jim that's, that's why always a com- uh, an area a region a community should be aware of the dangers of, of um, uh, social negative behaviour yes. you know always, always because it's a pushing factor in terms of growth it is of course yeah. when you go through that yeah, they, they say that um, in East Clare of Bunalow and area in Cretlow and they're the, the maybe the, the, the people the people the opposite with, with the most the with the yeah. most money live. Yeah. Yeah. Now if you go through the I went through the article there and it pointed out it even pointed pointed out a place in Six Mile Bridge which was which was uh, down as well. Oh yes. yes. And uh, all those places actually are, are, are county council estates. Yeah, they they look they they. I know we're running out of time, but they look they have a number of different indices or 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 data sets, and they look at education and they look at employment and they look at all sorts of things to mm-hmm. come up with this. Uh, de- yeah, the, these conclusions yeah. and uh, they can be quite small, as in particular housing estates or particular segments of a village. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need to give this a bit more mm-hmm. time. I think I think we're it's worthy of that. No, we're at the end of the thing, uh, the programme today. Many thanks to everybody for joining us, to John S. Welcome, John. And to Pat. Thanks, Jim. And to thanks, David. Jim. And thanks to Dan Danaher, who joined us in the first half of the show. Delighted uh, to have him, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to talk to him again. Now, it's up to Pat now to sing us out with uh, something appropriate. Well, so we'll go for the Beatles there, Jim, uh, with... with uh, and we'll let you pick it out yourself. <laughs> okay, well, why don't we go with the new... Um, the new one, yeah. Now yeah. and then. The new, new, yeah. the new and, and there's a big write-up on the Clare Champion. We didn't get around there to is. discussing nice. it. But there's a big write-up about when the Beatles were in, in County Clare in 1964. Living it up in Dromolan. Do you remember <laughs> it? Anyway, listen, we're, uh, we have to draw a line there. Thank you very much for joining us today. Look forward to seeing you next Sunday afternoon again. And from us uh, today, goodbye and God bless. true